0: This is the Total Football Podcast. I'm your host, Egan Hart.
1: And I'm Andrew Conway.
0: Let's get on with the show.
1: This fellow Ronaldo is a cod.
0: Aston Wenger has been in Japan for a year. Did you not know anything about English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> But this action is really incredible incredible if you don't know the answer to that question and i think you 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 are an ostrich
1: away,
0: the premier league announced the dates for when the season will pause for the world cup next season and it certainly raised some eyebrows andrew
1: it's not the most encouraging things for a good international tournament to, to happen usually you want to see if teams have a few weeks uh, together to you know build a, a a team ethos to learn how to play together to not get injured ideally right before to to kind of grow together as a team and understand each other the way that Italy did say for this year's euros.
0: Yeah, the the statement from the Premier League uh, came out there on I think it was either Thursday or Friday, and it said that the you know the dates for the season starting and ending has been confirmed. It'll start uh, on the sixth of August, which is a little little early, but not too early. You know, there were thoughts it might start in July, but then after match round sixteen, uh, that'll be the last set of games played before a break, and that will be on the weekend of November twelfth and thirteenth, which is a year from now, uh, and then the World Cup will start on the eighteenth of November. Uh, It'll finish then on the 18th of December and the Premier League will be back uh, for St. Stephen's Day, the 26th of uh, December, Boxing Day in the UK, of course. And then it will all be over in the Premier League by uh, May 28th, 2023. So um, there's a lot to take in there and that's going to be a very long season uh, condensed into pretty much the same time frame as usual.
1: Yeah, but we had that last year with COVID, or the year before last year rather with COVID. And that went well. Well, yeah, I'm I'm afraid that we're going to head towards another one of those type of seasons. Um, did you say match day 16, 16 will be where they'll wrap it up for the halfway point before the... Yeah. Yeah, so they're going to, at the moment, to just put that into perspective, we're roughly at the same point now and we played 11 matches. Yeah. So they're going to squeeze in another five match days. So basically we're playing every midweek and basically most teams have been playing every midweek. Has there been a week off so far this year? Between league cup and 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 European football, so there's going to be weeks where teams are playing probably three to four matches in a, in a in a ten day period, um, similar to the tournament football. So I suppose they'll be warmed up for that.
0: Yeah, like it, it poses just so many questions as well because like the Christmas period that we all know and love, like that will presumably take similar shape to what it normally does, where they play, yeah, Stevens's Day and the twenty seventh, and then probably. The midweek, there if there isn't, or a couple of days later, and then again on New Year's, like they might fit three games into that. Um, mm. and then the like, I'm surprised they didn't just say that you know, football will come back for the third round of the FA Cup. That seems like a great way for it all to come back, but um, that's uh, and not that gonna be the case Sky wouldn't have that now, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, and, if, and if the rights were a bit different, I think maybe that could have happened, but I think based on, on the way that the, the schedule in the UK is, is commanded by the broadcasters. If they don't have the rights to the FA Cup, they don't care about it. So, yeah, the 26th seems as, as good a day as any. I'm sure it's, it's probably one of the highest-rated days of the year, to be honest, uh, for Sky. So I would imagine they would really did want it uh, to be you know enshrined. For a player welfare point of view, they definitely could have used more time off uh, afterwards, considering where they're travelling, where they're going to be playing, um if there is still international restrictions in place by that point which there could well be um by the time a year from now comes into play that they could be isolated for a certain amount of time after they come back um yeah so it, it's it's from a player welfare point of view this isn't a great schedule um for most people you know I don't know. You can be. You can play like the look at the bright side of things and say, okay, we're going to have international football when we have nothing else to distract us from. You know, it's going to be bad weather out. It's going to be dark early, and there's going to be matches on. <laughs> um, I don't know. Is that any saving grace for any of the players? Possibly, you know, being exhausted from heat exhaustion in a probably empty stadium in a, in a place smaller than Wales.
0: Yeah, like the the whole thing just seems so unfeasible. Because, like, you're completely right from a player welfare standpoint. Like, it's just... Uh, it doesn't look sustainable at all. I really do feel quite bad for a lot of the players. I know they're well-paid, obviously, and it's always the argument thrown against any kind of Not for international athletes, football, they're not well-paid. Th- but
1: that's they're true. They're not well-paid to pay for their country. Like, that, that's completely subsidised by the clubs. So if I were a club, I'd be like, there's a lot of things wrong from this from a club's point of view. And, you know... Uh, Obviously the Super League was the wrong way to go about it and they've lost any of their voice as a result of it. But there was a there was an there's an opportunity for the clubs to bound together and kinda of make a make a statement on this. But yeah, I, I think that ship has probably sailed at this point and it it looks set to be that there will be a World Cup in Qatar next year come hell or high water.
0: And and it does also raise the question next year from a fitness standpoint of which squads will probably benefit the most from this like we've already kind of got this a little this season in terms of the African Cup of Nations coming up at the uh, the turn of the year there and we're looking at maybe Liverpool and Chelsea having some big players missing and you know we're just going to have that to an even greater extent next year like which players will just be absolutely mm. destroyed from giving it their all at a World Cup because you know, I saw someone make the joke, like, no one's going to be getting into a World Cup final thinking, oh, you know, don't want to miss the game next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got to get the three points for the club. Like, no, no one's going to be thinking that. That would be uh, irrational and insane,
1: really. Um, yeah, but very often you see that players, like, they'll postpone. Marcus Rashford, you know, someone most recently did it. They'll postpone surgery and time off and stuff like that to make sure they make an international tournament. So this could happen this summer. That players will okay. I can't do surgery this summer because my place in the World Cup squad will be at risk because I'll have to play the first few months of the season to get into the squad. So they'll postpone that, and then you'll have a, a raft of players probably missing. Plus the usual amount of players who get injured either in the the training camp up up coming up to it. Even though it'll only be a few days, but you know players try harder. They they do more. They're 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 traveling a lot more to get to to get to the destinations they need to go to over in the Middle East. Uh, and they end up getting themselves injured. And then the club teams will be the ones that suffer. There'll be no uh, buffer period to kind of give them a few weeks off so that they can get back to fitness or have their recuperation. And a lot of teams will be missing players. I think, to be honest, if it was to bet on next season's uh, or to predict who who would win the league next season, my, my guess would be Man City because they'll just buy out other teams and they'll have a larger squad than other teams. So I think this will decimate most other teams and it would be a complete lucky dip if it wasn't for the presence of Man City, I'd say.
0: Yeah definitely like you'd be looking at a team who basically has very few world cup participants in it burnley <laughs> yeah someone like that to do well um you know which would be quite strange in and of itself you know it definitely already seems like the kind of season where it wouldn't quite be an asterisk asterisks on it but close to it um, yeah. so
1: it's, well, you saw how Liverpool's form, like maybe some of that was to do with the fact that they basically already won the league. But when they came back from COVID, uh, when it was, you know, when the, the, the season was kind of condensed up, their form collapsed. And, and, and like, I know some of that's psychological, but I could see that happening across the board for a lot of teams because they're still going to have to pay, like you said, more than 20, 22 fixtures in a, in a, in a four month period, roughly. It's plus obviously the European and Cup competitions as well. Like it's it's gonna be cracked.
0: Plus the international break that will still be taking place in September and I think October as well, which is crazy in and of itself that we're mm. still It's
1: that qualifiers as well. Like uh, I don't Na- know what Nations
0: League and friendlies, I think. Um, you know, essentially oh, they'll both God. act as uh the warm up camps that we normally get, I suppose. But the other thing that I wanna mention as well is, you know, if you remember in two thousand six, uh England playing Portugal you know Rooney gets sent off in that quarterfinal and it becomes a big story that oh Ronaldo got Rooney sent off and their club teammates mm-hmm. and there was the wink to the camera and all this and Alan Shearer saying if I was Rooney I'd go up to Ronaldo and punch him at the first training session like what if we get a story like that between two yeah. club mates and then they have to play with each other a week later uh, you know it's yeah. it's another wrinkle too as well there would be no cool off period at all for you know tempers rising and and you know it's a world cup obviously it's really important. So it is possible something like that can happen, where two clubmates can have a slight falling out over some incident in a quarterfinal or a semifinal, because you know the, the World Cup means so much to these people.
1: Yeah, plus like you know, I'm thinking about Alvaro Morata last summer and how probably the cooling off, like I don't know if he's fully recovered from it, but the cooling off period after the tournament ending probably was a saving grace for him. <laughs> Imagine him missing that penalty and he used to go back into play a couple of days later. Uh, for Juventus or whoever he's playing for at the time or you have a player who's who hits such amazing highs does really well like Luka Modric maybe you know type of performance a virtuoso performance in a world cup and he comes back to club football and just can't recapture cuz his season's over he can't he can't get that adrenaline rush back and the the whole thing collapses around him that's happened before with players like reaching their peaks at a, for a world cup and then just failing away or you could have the complete inverse where players just can't get their 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 biological clocks um working to this new schedule and and they just don't perform at this world cup um which is i i i do believe is probably a distinct opportunity as well to happen um it it's it's a bit weird like um like there there's there is still the risk as well like a lot of players in the middle of a season suffer muscle injuries and take a few weeks here or there off it's kind of this is a common type of time of the year where these start happening and no no longer will it be oh yeah i'll be off you know four weeks out now but four weeks out you're out of the world cup this time of the year it's not a case of you know just get back fit for the for the tournament it's just you're gone and how that can negatively impact a lot of teams or players psychologically Yeah,
0: and you know, some of the ramifications for all this will become, I suppose, quite clear in in 12 months' time, and you know, we'll speculate on it until then, I suppose. But the whole thing just seems so mad, and as I said, it doesn't seem feasible at all, and yet here we are going ahead with it. So, um, you know, it's all going to be very interesting, and and we're seeing European teams now uh, qualify or not qualify for the World Cup. Ireland. Won't be qualifying, uh, which I suppose we already knew. For a <laughs> Thanks while. for that,
1: Declan. Thanks for that clarification after that that pregnant pause. Yes, Ireland will not be qualifying with their nine points. Yeah. Um, so
0: you know we knew this, but I suppose you know we're Irish, so we, we we want to talk about it a bit as well with Stephen Kenny and the whole campaign. They they ended on a high. I suppose it's a nil all draw against Portugal, where you could argue they maybe should have had a last minute winner, but for the referee blowing his whistle early and. Whether or not that was a foul, I suppose it doesn't matter now. Um, but then there was a 3-0 hammering of Luxembourg, revenge for
1: um, a year
0: ago. Yeah. Um, what, what what do you make of the campaign overall, though, I guess?
1: <clears throat> well, like obviously revisionism is, is, is rife in Ireland at the moment. Um, like Luxembourg, player for player, are better than Ireland. They have Champions League players, while Ireland have star players playing for Rotherham. Um, so you can't really look beyond that fact. Uh, Luxembourg should beat Ireland. It's just the history of Luxembourg that they don't. Um, I think as the campaign wore on, I think the team grew into themselves. I think they're playing much better football than they have done under previous regimes. I think they're in a better state now than they were in the latter days of, of even Robbie Keane playing. Uh, because I, I, I feared at that time and, and the, the, medi- the immediate time after Robbie Keane, uh, retired from international football, that Ireland had no uh, discernible way of attacking other than through set pieces, which still does exist. They, they do focus uh, heavily on set pieces, but now they have the structure. They press. They have a, a clear modern approach to to attacking. They, you know, are clearly limited in certain zones of the pitch. Um, I don't think. I don't think centre back or, or goalkeeper are those zones, but I think the rest of the pitcher are. I think they have all right championship level players, uh, but n- not to the level that you know the likes of Portugal or even Serbia can can mount against them. Um, so, like I think Ireland are where they probably deserve to be at this point in time. You can look and say, oh, if things were a bit different. Like the best they could have hoped for is taking a few more points off off, off Serbia or or like you say, getting the result against Portugal as they were close to doing on both occasions. But would that have made a massive difference in things? They still would have been into a playoff or they would have been unfancied and probably against the likes of, of Sweden or, or or someone of that ilk. And then you, you don't know. And 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 I I don't believe that Ireland are necessarily in the top sixteen teams in Europe at the moment, and I, I don't think that's while not being an aspiration outside of our, our, it it should be an aspiration we 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 aim for. I just I just don't think we're there, and I don't see us getting there anytime soon. And it's like we can coach all we want, and and I hope Stephen Kenny gets better and his teams get better. But I think there is a there is a wall or a ceiling that our players will hit, and it's probably just out of our reach. Like I, I do have hope for the next stage of qualifying the Nations League and the European qualifiers. I think they will probably get to the next Euros in, is it in, where is the next Euros on again? I remember Ger- Germany, Germany I believe, yeah. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do have hope they'll get to that one um, because I think they'll have a, a better run-in to these qualifiers. They won't be as mixed up. They won't have, as you have said off air, the, the kind of weird stuff that's happened to Ireland all through the qualifiers, missing important players through injury or through COVID, playing in front of no fans, um, having just this weird record of not being able to score for a huge amount of time that kind of playing on people and and kind of bringing through a lot of young untested international players and they won't have to do any of that next time around they've they've kind of done that heavy lifting so they should if they continue as they have done to this point they should be in a good place uh to get to the orals i think the world cup might be a bridge too far
0: yeah, and with the next World Cup qualifying campaign as well, it'll be slightly expanded too, so, you know, maybe that'll... We think. <laughs> Who yeah. knows? As of now, it should be expanded, so maybe that will play in our favour as well as one of the kind of edge teams and as the yeah. as the players grow. And, and you know, y- younger players come through as well because it'll be 2026 by then, um, so surely more will come through. But, you know, I think there's been plenty of positives. Obviously, there's been some low moments. Losing to Luxembourg was... Um, a pretty killer moment drawing with uh, Azerbaijan. You know, those days were bad, but, you know, I think the, the in the long term, the suffering has been worth it already um, because we're seeing a team that's just enjoyable to watch, which we haven't been able to say for quite a while. I know we qualified for 2012-2016 um, Euros, but the football wasn't great. Um, You know, this is a lot better. Like the, the pass from Hendrik... Um, for the second goal like that that the build-up for that was one of the best goals ireland has scored in my memory It was
1: against luxembourg though it It was against luxembourg
0: yeah but compared to the kind of goals that we needed to beat gibraltar or georgia in the past it's 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 so much better it's progress um and and it's about building something and, and and there's a clear progression so far with the way things are going and these young players already coming through like Gavin Bizzunu has been an absolute re- revelation mm. and it's uh, you know he looks like poor Queven could... Keller <laughs> yeah poor Queven Keller poor uh, Mark Travers and Darren Randolph were sacked at goalkeepers You are to need to play some of them in midfield at this point um, but you know Gavin Bizzunu looks like he could be the starting goalkeeper for Ireland for 15 to 20 years if he can keep this up so you know that's massive and I don't think any manager that Ireland would have had in the past would have been bringing in Bazunu um, in, in under the circumstances probably would have stuck with Darren Randolph or, or Mark Travers who, who, who played a few games before that um you know other players as well obama Bamadile has been amazing like the fact that he is a what 19, 20 year old and he, he was ruled out of the Portugal game and that made everyone disappointed you know says a lot um you know he was amazing against Portugal in a reverse fixture great against Serbia in the Aviva almost scored a, a blindingly great goal to win that game uh, against Serbia, which would have been amazing, would have lifted the roof off, I'd say, at the Aviva. So, um, yeah, there's been some great moments, um, you know, taking the lead against Portugal and only just losing in the last minutes, like that was heartbreaking, but it was so, um, it was endearing and it was so encouraging as well. So I think there's there's plenty to be happy with, um, with the way the camp is going. The under-21 squad is still... Growing as well and getting better, and there's players coming through there that look quite exciting. So hopefully that works out too. Um, and I think that the future of, of the Irish national team is a lot brighter now than it was maybe after the Denmark five one game where everything seemed quite grim. Um, so you know I think we should we should be happy with that, and obviously see how the Nations League goes, and you know the way things are, are progressing. Hopefully we should, we you know we probably won't quite get promoted because of the strength of the teams and in, in the draw that we'll have. But um, you know we, we won't be fighting for relegation either. We perfectly mid table in a fourteen group is uh, <laughs> exactly what we need, I think.
1: Yeah, like we we could get the results depending on how things go. But yeah, we, we'll probably finish where we are. I think things are probably more optimistic now than they were after that Denmark game. We have a bit more knowledge about the real state of things and we're a bit more realistic on things like you're you're right like I don't think for a nation like Ireland we we don't expect to win a World Cup we don't expect to win in the Euros We, we often don't even expect to qualify but we expect to compete and to to show something about it and to create chances and to ideally score goals as well and that's something that you know, Jack Charlton always did, Mick McCarthy did. You know, they like even Brian Kerr in his you know the latter days of the old Lansdowne Road. We that was always expected of an Irish team. I think since we've moved to the Aviva, uh, we haven't been like that. It's been easier to come to Ireland to play. And I think hopefully Stephen Kenny has started like by modernising us. It's not necessarily a unique style of play. It's not necessarily up and get them and put them under pressure like Jack Charlton uh, instigated in his era and really kind of made Ireland a powerhouse at home. But it is at least something that can make us more difficult to beat and gives us an opportunity to break and to, and to actually score goals and create chances, which I think is all the fans really want. You saw the reaction to fans to the Portugal game. They were into it. They were happy with it. There wasn't booing of the game going on which is something that was commonplace in in recent years um and yeah i th- I think that's it's all pointing in the right direction i just think we have to have our feet on the ground with it and to, to understand our limitations and i think people are better educated now to get that you're right there's a lot of good young players there's some decent older players in there there's a lot of potential in there but we all know that a lot of that will never work out it'll only hit a certain level and and i think we're all okay with that it's just as long as we stay true to our ideals as long as we try and and do put them under a little bit of pressure as long as we do try to create chances as long as we take the chances with the opportunities we do have and don't make it an easy place for a team to play against I think that's all the fans want yeah, because like, the shift in
0: attitude as well has been really refreshing from the management where you know we've got Stephen Kenny coming out after the Portugal game saying certain players are good enough to be in the Champions League. John
1: Egan can play in the Champions League, yeah. Yeah,
0: like, that's obviously maybe a bit hyperbolic. I don't know whether John Egan really could play in the Champions League or not, but... The point is, like that's a hugely different mentality to you know the defeatist attitude of Martin O'Neill and Giovanni Trapattoni, where it was a case of well we don't have the players, so, the you know yeah. we don't we don't expect much from me. I'm not a miracle worker, you know. It's very different now, and, and that too has just been really exciting to have a manager who can come in and say, look, I have really good players, and I'm I'm going to do something with them, and that being bore out on the pitch, you know, it's it's just refreshing.
1: Yeah, and long may it continue. Yeah, and we
0: I think in this group as well we've seen the difference between uh, you know what a, a good coach can do with not so great players and what a bad coach can do with excellent players. Portugal, were, you know I thought wretched in the two games against Ireland, and they've failed to qualify for the World Cup. They'll have to settle for the playoffs.
1: Yeah, like the, given the players they have, that th- this is a better team that went to won the Euros in twenty sixteen. It's got more mature players and probably better players in there, along with still having uh, like international. Superstars like Cristiano Ronaldo still there and still doing the business for for his team when he's given the opportunities to do it. It, it is a bit of a disappointment. Like I was saying to you off air, how I think while Santos is a very conservative manager of Portugal and doesn't offer a great deal in terms of his attacking prowess, given the the riches he has on 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 top, it, it, he isn't doing outstandingly badly either. Like th- this is a team that is trying basically playing a, a defensive style of football with one man less than the opposition team. They have Ronaldo, but he's he doesn't do much pressing. He doesn't cover a huge amount of ground. He tends to fluctuate his position, so other players have to accommodate him. And as a result of that, you're kind of playing catch-up from, from minute one. And if your players aren't on song, and they, you know, the other team gets about you and, and and starts, you know, preying on your mistakes, say the way Ireland did of the the high press that they did in that that game last week, it really does mess with you. And then, if you can't create the chances for Ronaldo to put away, it leads to opportunities for like Serbia had, where they where they put a lot of pressure on and eventually broke through in the last minute of the game, and. <laughs> Like some of that responsibility does sit with the manager, but it it's a whole fundamental issue with, with any team that has Cristiano Ronaldo in it. Um, does it make your team better or worse? I think with that management style and having Ronaldo in it, it doesn't. But saying that Zidane was able to figure it out, Carlo Ancelotti was able to figure it out, even Josie Mourinho was able to figure it out uh previously. So maybe you just need to look back and kind of adapt your methods to to fit Ronaldo rather than try and just leave him out of your whole plan and let him do what he wants and and you plan for the other 10 players.
0: Yeah, it is quite interesting, I think, how teams that Ronaldo has played in over the last two or three years have struggled a little, so... um You know, maybe there's something going on there. I don't know. It's hard to say because three teams is actually pretty low. So we'll have to, you know, put them across. We'll do a draw and every week he'll play for a different club and we'll see how they get on. And we'll really be able to tell if Ronaldo's the problem or whether he's just been really unlucky. Um, But, yeah, um, I think... Portugal were just really poor in the two games with Ireland and, and generally I think you know Serbia as well were much better in those two games against Ireland so I'm kind of glad they, they got through and congratulations as well to all the other teams that have, have got through the World Cup, I know it's a bit of a weird one but it's always good to qualify um, and there's still a few games to go Um Netherlands Norway on, on Tuesday night should be a big one, I think basically the winner goes through and the loser might not even get a playoff so uh, yeah. that's a pretty big deal Turkey over there They're
1: loitering in that group as well it'll be very interesting i would be very interested to see whether norway do something if they were to qualify i know that's something gareth southgate has talked about once england are qualified then players can voice their minds on things uh a bit more um which will be interesting to see whether that actually happens um for a variety of reasons um but it will be interesting to see whether norway do anything about uh qualifying for the Qatar World Cup if they do manage to beat the Netherlands or at least get something out of that match.
0: And then shifting focus away from the international game for I think a few months maybe, uh, now news, news-wise, news let's shift Yay. to uh, the club game where uh, Stephen Gerrard was announced as the new Aston Villa manager. Are we excited for this?
1: I The more I thought about it, right, the more I thought Stephen Gerrard is a bit of a Brian Robson in terms of management. Now, I could be completely wrong, and I've only seen him manage Rangers, but when Rangers, you're often like, he had the biggest, you know, I'm the biggest fish in this pond, and I have better players than all of you, with the exception of when he played Celtic, but Celtic have been an absolute mess over the last few seasons, so it hasn't been a fair fight. Um, But when he did, like against Brendan Rodgers or against other, other top teams, he tends to flounder and also apply the same type of deprecating self-deprecating approach to management as he did as a player so it's all his fault it's all his problem and also it's the players problems and he doesn't really know how to get out of them he's just very dour he doesn't seem like someone who can motivate something out of players so i hope he has a tactical brain in there Uh, it's not something that you thought about when he was a player definitely that he had the brain about him for for thinking out vast plans of, of strategy but maybe he does. I just fear he could be a bit of a Brian Robson.
0: Yeah, it's going to be quite interesting because, you know, I spoke last week about his, his good record to win the league with Rangers. And, and a lot of that was quite impressive. And I've seen since that uh, apparently a lot of the work uh, at Rangers tactical work has been put down to his assistant. Michael Beale, I think is his name. And he's come with him. So, you know, that's that's very important as well from the sounds of things. And, you know, there there were other times as well at Rangers where he kind of put his foot in his mouth a little um, in in, in press conferences and stuff and you know you get away with that to an extent in Scotland I don't know do you get away with that with some of the players that he'll have at Aston Villa Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see how he does with band management there which you know will be really important as well Um, especially if he's leaving some of the more tactical stuff up to his assistants Um, and you know as we said last week as well ultimately I think it's not too big of a risk for either of them because you know if it doesn't work out they'll get someone else seem to go somewhere else and they won't go down because they do have a quite a good squad there. not a top tier squad not not a squad that no, would make but the there's top four three teams but,
1: worse than them
0: yeah yeah there's three maybe even five or six teams that are worse yeah than them probably and, and and that that should be enough for them to stay up whatever happens this year barring a total catastrophe so um yeah, I'm kind of glad to see that Gerrard has taken the risk to to do it, even though it is a bit of a safe one. Um, and it could, you know, make or break his chances of becoming Liverpool manager someday, which is uh, pretty important for him as well, I'd say.
1: Yeah, like he could hit the ground running and be amazing and really do does do have, he could really have the tactical brain that I don't think he has. It's it just yeah you know, the way the reason I say he's like Brian Robson is a great player who was given all the opportunities he could be given and it just didn't work out time and time again. He did well to a certain point and then it kind of fell away and and you know that that was just who he was. He was a great player, not a great manager. Um, and that's kind of what I worry about about Stephen Jarrett. Just off of you know the book he's written, the way he comes across, um, and just kind of anecdotal stuff. That's how I feel he could be now. I, I hope he's really good because it, it would be a turn up for the books is when's the last time a really like super especially English <laughs> English player became a manager of, of renown I don't think I can't even remember the last time something like that happened it's been a very long time maybe Mark Hughes and he was Welsh like that was the last time a, a manager's really come out of there uh, from England specifically Um, so we it'll be interesting to see and I hope it does happen for him and works out for him but yeah I'm I I think there were Possibly other choices that might have made a better long term sense for Villa and maybe they'll return to them in the new year or in the next season if things don't work out.
0: Yeah and then the man that uh, Steven Gerrard replaced, Dean Smith, he's already back in work, he's been confirmed today as the new manager of Norwich City. Uh, The two teams actually will meet in December which could be a bit of fun Um, Norwich surely are going down no matter whatever happens but uh, Dean Smith
1: uh, potentially quite good long
0: term appointment.
1: Yeah, I think he's a like he was at Brentford before. We've talked about it. He, he's a good guy. Um, he's brought Craig Shakespeare with him for for what that's worth. I don't know does that destroy everything at at Villa in the long run? Um, I think the the go making that next step in the Premier League might be beyond Dean Smith and his current way of management. It seemed to be at Villa, he just couldn't move on to that next echelon of players especially once they took the biggest hit of, of losing um, Jack Grealish. But I think at Norwich City, it could be in a, another... We'll see whether he can he can change the, the, the course of things at North City, like you said, they'll probably go down. Although I was looking at the table and they are leveling points with Newcastle, which might just suggest that Newcastle might also be going down. Um but the, the you know there there is scope to get out of there. They're they're only six odd points off the off safety, I think, so two wins. So it is there's plenty of games left, but yeah, I, maybe this squad doesn't have what it takes. It'd be interesting to see because like Dean Smith has done well before with the resources given to him when he took over Villa originally he kind of accepted what was there and well it's not like it was a bad team that was there um, but he kind of worked with what he was given uh, at the time and, and he did work very well with it so I, I think he could do that again with Norwich and, and if they do go down which is expected I don't think he'll get sacked and I think he'll bring them back up <laughs> history
0: of the Tottenham we believe in the history there is a story in world football we've not talked about a whole lot but uh now seems as good a time as I need to ask should there be a world cup
1: every two years no
0: oh that's that, that's good <laughs> enough so
1: we'll just uh, <laughs> yeah we've on to the part three there uh Declan uh no there there shouldn't be if anything I would I would restrict the world cups to being uh further apart Um, than they currently are i think the world cup means something i think it being four years apart it makes it a more important um, thing in people's minds and event in people's minds i think there is a a rush to make things more frequent in in modern life and i think that's a stupid thing to do Um, in a lot of regards uh, sequelization of everything in life in terms of films and books and tv isn't something that necessarily needs to happen and I don't think it needs to happen in sport either. I think separating things out and having long gaps between them to to build up not just hype but build up importance and the majesty of, of something like a World Cup is, is very important. I know what people say that, you know, it'll involve more people if we have the more teams, more of the world, it'll become more of a global competition. If we have it every two years, that I get, but at the same time... Uh, i think it's a money grab any real the real reasoning behind any any increase in world cup would be to to monetize it more and the fact is that if you had it more it would probably lead to diminishing marginal returns and end up losing money in the long run for for the for the whole competition um so my aim would be to protect it in such a way as we don't let the money grabbers get at it <laughs> as quickly as maybe they want and to keep it at least as a four-year tournament um and i you know personally be up for it every 10 years
0: yeah like there's so many logistical questions to it being every 2 years that don't don't work don't make any sense it's um, a money grab yeah obviously it's a money grab but the fact that you know you know there've been money grabs done in the past that at least logistically made a little bit of sense and you know they Did they, were, they were accomplished <laughs> and you know whatever we le- we learned to live with them but this just wouldn't make any like sense like really 24 team euros yeah, but at 24 teams Euros you know it, it wasn't a good idea but at least it was grounded in reality in the sense that there are 24 teams who could compete in that um, you know it's the same with the expansion of the World Cup in the past like you know you could have said a uh, 16-team World Cup was perfect and then they went to 24 and, and you know, we learned to live with it and we learned to live with 32 and I'm sure we'll end up learning to live with um, what is it 48 that they're going to in 2026 but the idea that there'll be one in 2028 as well and and you know UEFA would want to put Euros at the same time and uh, not uh, Comedy Ball in, in South America will want to put on a Cup of America at the same time like that just Literally doesn't work. Uh, the, the the logistics of it doesn't make any sense, and and you know that poses the question. Then uh, you know what would this World Cup actually mean, and and would it be called a World Cup, and could it be something else, and. <sighs> It just doesn't make any sense, and it points again to a lot of the problems we've had with, with you know all the bodies involved with organizing football at the moment, FIFA, UEFA, you know the clubs themselves. Is a, everyone wants a part, a slice of the pie, and the pie is getting bigger, and you know the the control of the pie is changing. This is a weird pie. I mean, um, stick with me, but uh,
1: well, it works. It works. It is. It is. It's a, It's an ever increasing and decreasing size of pie. Like yeah, it it. it I I understand entirely where the 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 vultures will come from, and I'm I'm sure I think Arsene Wenger put forward an argument for it. I didn't really heed much into that because of who his employers were in FIFA and his his objective is to benefit FIFA, and this would benefit FIFA. It would not benefit most other things in the world, but it would benefit FIFA. And you know I think the moral of this, and it's a, it should be a warning. The Super League happened this past year and was thrown out. And it was shown out with fans protesting and making a difference in, in how things will operate. And the fact that not really, I know it was a lot centred in England, but a lot of countries across Europe did not want it to happen. And they voiced that and they scared the owners into reversing their decision. And they and you thought that could never happen. I, If I were FIFA, I'd be concerned about that happening on a larger scale if they started messing with the institution that's the World Cup that's nearly 100 years and hasn't changed its essential format of being every four years in a different country um, and competing to win one one prize at the end of it, it like the, changing that is, is is tantamount to changing the the fabric of the sport at this point in time and i'd be worried about okay let fifa do what they want and you you're looking for an excuse for breakaway you're looking for, to give these owners who want to breakaway super league an excuse to break away i think it's it's opening that the at this point, I think the the Super League is dead. But there's nothing saying that the the, the big five leagues couldn't break away and form a new superstructure of five leagues in Europe and with the Benelux countries as well, um and and become something else outside of FIFA or UEFA's remit. Like that isn't in, in completely possible, um in 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 the current situation. If if FIFA or UEFA were to to screw up royally enough, um. And I think that's that could happen if, if they do try and do things like as fundamental to the game as moving the World Cup to every two years.
0: And, and this as well furthers the point that we've made in the past that this is actually a pretty crucial decade, I think, for the organisation of football in the world. Like everything seems to be coming to a head at the moment between the Super League, player welfare um agents fees as well transfer fees um you know uh, the world cup image well. rights
1: fifa you know was it was it um was it i i know it was a facetious thing but weren't they looking for billions of dollars from ea sports to to pay for the image rights of players in fifa they were essentially like, at the doubling yeah.
0: the, the amount they're asking for the rights to the fifa name um then mm. there's the whole stuff i and. Slatan and Gareth Bale got involved as well as the players realised they could maybe make some more money off FIFA by selling their own image to EA Sports directly um, yeah. which you know FIFA Pro and the unions they all organised that as well so that's another thing that could come to a head just as easily in the next few years like it feels like every administration aspect of the game at the minute is you know up for grabs um, and, and you know not even the World Cup is sacred so, you know, it's a really important decade, I think, for the sport. And, yeah, it's kind of crazy. It, it, I, one of the things as well that I want to say is that, like, I do, you, you know, you touch on Arsene Wenger and there's some players as well coming through, like Ronaldo was one of them, uh, Ronaldo yep. the Brazilian one, and a few other players from that era coming out in favour of this. And, and it just seemed like they were shilling the product for FIFA for money. And, and it's just sad to watch, you know, people who... We all highly respect, especially Arsene Menger coming through and proposing things that don't make any sense, giving reasons that don't make any sense, like, oh, fans are low Like, what fans? Who's, who's asked for this? Coming out again with the whole cliche that, oh, young, we have to appeal to young people's attention spans, even though that's factually inaccurate and doesn't make any sense either. And it's 70 year old men being coming out and saying, well, you know, young people like this and that, even though I've not asked or spoken to a young person in the last 40 years, (laughs) Um, you know, stuff like that. It, it, It just goes to show like. The sport is in the hands of old men. who don't know what they're talking about. They're out of touch, and that's why we're constantly it is, it is. And and, you know, this is a football podcast, and that's why I'm talking about football specifically. Um, But it's just frustrating as a fan who, you know, we're we're powerless in in, in this moment. If if some 85 year old man decides he wants to change something, you know, he can do that if he wants. Um and it's just desperately sad for the sport that uh no one is really able to do anything about it and and you're right as well that the Super League I suppose was a sign that maybe actually we can do something about that and you know maybe FIFA should be afraid of fans because well there's a hell of a lot more of us than there is of them um so that's going to be another really interesting part of that dynamic as all of this does come to a head over the next 10 years
1: yeah and <sighs> it's a sad state of affairs, but I suppose it's nothing different from the annals of history. <laughs> uh we just hope that uh people can get angry and uh mobilize, shout out, you know that yeah, mobilize like the the, the recent I think it's forty five years or something like that or maybe it's only 44 years since the film Network came out which had the very famous speech of your man the newscaster losing it and explaining that you know I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore when he you know and part of his long speech and his uh, his monologue in that film was like I don't know what you should say to the people in power I don't know what you should do but you could make a start by just opening your window and standing up and, and shouting as as I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore uh, and you know maybe we should do that a bit more
0: yeah and it's funny you say that it was 44 years ago it feels relevant still to this day and uh, oh yeah
1: yeah and and you're right as well this isn't a
0: football specific problem but as i said this is a football podcast and you know we just hope like the the talk around this has been fairly quiet over the last few year a few months or weeks i should weeks is what i meant and the other thing as well is that you know initially when this proposal was made a lot of people you know who were very knowledgeable of this subject who have sources in, in high up places are saying this was kind of a bargaining chip from FIFA because they want that Saudi Arabian money for that Club World Cup that they want to do with them mm. you know they want to expand that make it a bigger deal and stuff like that and you know maybe that proposal will come back on the table in the next few weeks who knows
1: yeah maybe it's like uh, that's often how negotiations start you start with an outrageous offer and then you kind of work towards something more palatable and maybe that's what this is. It's Shabalala! Goal, Mafada, Mafada. Goal for South Africa! Goal for Africa!
0: So the international break is behind us now for a while, which oh I God. think uh, we're all pretty relieved about. It. And yeah. it's time for... The Premier League to kick Carling Cup Carabao
1: Cup whatever is coming up next.
0: <laughs> well we've got the festive season coming in. I know it's maybe a month yeah. away or so but we can still uh, start getting ramped up for that and I do love the, the festive football season so uh, I'm looking forward to that and we start with uh, Liverpool Arsenal Leicester Chelsea they're the two big games coming up
1: yeah um, I think Leicester have obviously got a point to prove given how they've done so far in big matches I think Chelsea are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination um their players would have had a lot of bit of mileage on them in these international breaks more so than Leicester although Leicester do have a fair few international players as well um but I think this is something Leicester has uh, have to have uh, aimed for. I'm sure Brendan Rodgers will be working on the training ground with everyone left behind in Leicester to kind of come up with a plan to to get in under the skin of this of this Chelsea side. I think the most effective way is to kind of shut them down in midfield, and then they don't offer very much if they can't get anything there. They're attacking um, triumphant. Uh, and then just kind of wear them down in, at the back And I think I think that will happen over the season I think their their defenders will be worn down and, and they'll start shedding some more goals than they currently have I think they have the best record One of the best records in the history of the Premier League At this stage of the season so far Chelsea But I think they will start shedding a few more goals And Burnley kind of gave a, a blueprint to how to do that In, in the last match out um, Yeah, so I think Chelsea could be in danger at the top of the league I don't think I think given the way that this weekend is coming up, I think they're safe at, at the top, but uh, I think they could be in danger in the next couple of weeks of losing that position.
0: Yeah, and interestingly as well with this game is this was the fixture that saw Frank Lampard lose his job as Chelsea manager. So um, it's the first time they've met, um, you know, here at the King Power Stadium since then. It was also the FA Cup final, which Leicester won. Um, then they met, I think, at Stamford Bridge like the week later and that game. Chelsea won, so... They've already built up a bit of a recent rivalry, um, you know, even stretching yeah. back a few years. It was the Leicester game at the King Power that got Jose Mourinho sacked. Yeah. So there's a bit of bad blood here, I guess, to an extent, uh, more than the average. To, to game. an extent,
1: yeah, I think both teams worked out pretty well last season, as it came out. You know, I think less. I think Chelsea were. It's a bad thing to say about the FA Cup, but I don't think Chelsea were getting really out to win that FA Cup. I think they were out to win the Champions League. And I think they were uh, uh, their efforts in the, in said matches were probably uh, reflective of that. And I think like Leicester did let themselves down at the last day with that that defeat to Chelsea being so poor, uh, or the second last day as it may have been, because they were within contention of of getting into the Champions League again, and they they kind of failed at that um, again. But uh, you know, I think they got what they wanted out of the year, winning a trophy for the first, you know, winning the FA Cup specifically. Um, which is something that always eluded them in the past. So yeah, I I, I think I think Leicester need to show a performance in this game, and I think Chelsea might be they're not due for battering or anything like it, but I think they might be due for a bit more of a challenge than they've been given so far this season. Um, given the teams they've played, they've kind of played them at the right times and 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 done well with the the with their own team in terms of injuries and 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 suspensions and everything else. And I think they're slowly starting to catch up with them along with fatigue. And this could be the game to turn it around, especially with the 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 Champions League fixtures as well coming up. They'll they'll be conserving a bit of energy for that as well.
0: Yeah, and as well with Leicester, like they started the season quite underwhelmingly, and then they got that result against Man United where they won four two, and it was like okay, maybe things are starting to turn around. But then as it transpired, Man United are you know just losing to everyone at the minute. Then Leicester lost to Arsenal. Uh, again quite underwhelmingly and you know this is yeah. a team that could maybe do with a, a scalp like Chelsea because you know if, if things continue as they are Brendan Rodgers won't be sitting in the most comfortable seat in the King Power and uh, things will get really interesting from there
1: yeah I, I I have a bit more confidence in Brendan Rodgers like I think he would be the only thing that's going to pry him out of that if he gets a bigger job than Leicester which you know doesn't seem likely at the moment even the Manchester United job for him various reasons it doesn't seem like he's the man that, that'll be picked for it um and obviously he wasn't he didn't take the leap down to spurs or chelsea for that matter when when those jobs are available in recent times um but yeah it's it's a very leicester have it all to do i think they have a lot to prove this season to prove that you know the investments they made in the summer were correct that they're able to turn these kind of they've very, been very inconsistent so far they can have really great performances like and that man united performance i know we've talked about Man United being the kind of bad but it was good from Leicester in that game and, and they've had a few other games like that this season but then they've had like you said abject performances like against Arsenal where they really didn't show a great deal and gave out too much.
0: Yeah and then there's the the Liverpool Arsenal game which was on at Anfield and you know Arsenal have got a pretty poor record there at Anfield but mm. you know these games tend to be quite good Liverpool and Arsenal tend to, they like putting on a bit of a show, uh, last year's game was um, decent enough and yeah, we've seen a few batterings in the past. I think Arsenal are maybe above that now. But uh, it'd be nice to see well, Arsenal get a bit competitive at Anfield for once.
1: Yeah, like on paper, and I think in my head, I'm thinking that it's probably Liverpool's pretty confidently. Um, they'll have thought about the way things went in the last game. Uh, I imagine quite quite significantly. I know there is you know mitigating circumstances to an extent and just really poor finishing. Uh, that led to them losing to West Ham, but I think they'll be out to to preserve their title chances and and probably see that there is opportunities coming in coming weeks for them to get back on top of everybody uh, and top the league. More more importantly, the other thing that has to be mentioned as well is like Liverpool will fall behind Arsenal if they actually lose this match. I don't think it's going to happen, but that is a reality if it does. Um, I I think this is a big test for Arteta and where he's come so far. I think. I don't think he's going to go into this match being wholly defensive, which is the only way that Arsenal have got results against Liverpool in the last since Klopp has really come in. To be honest, that is the main way they get results against uh, against Liverpool is playing really defensively and playing on the break and hoping for a Liverpool mistake. I don't think he's going to do that in this match, which may think, leave things a bit open. Uh, but at the same time, it may leave with opportunities for Arsenal to actually take take chances against them. And we know Liverpool do have that weak underbelly behind Fabinho that can be exploited and Virgil van Dijk can't be everywhere at all times. So if Arsenal get enough players in that little pocket, they could do something to, to this Liverpool side and at least get a few chances off. Um, but yeah, I, I still think Liverpool probably have enough to power through and win this though.
0: And Antonio Conte against Marcelo Bielsa on Sunday I think that's a pretty good way to sell Spurs to, be Liverpool or Spurs to be Leeds these days
1: Yeah like I I think Leeds probably have a good chance in this match I know they've been poor enough this season they've they've struggled to put points on the board but it's going to I, well <laughs> this is a big it's a big assumption but I, I assume it's going to start at some place and it may as well start with Spurs like I don't see how Spurs are getting any better under Conte immediately. Like I know he's going to come in and he's told off a lot of players for being overweight apparently and he's banned catch-up and other sauces from the Gantin and it has fundamentally reviewed the way or is fundamentally reviewing the way things are done from every aspect of the of the player performance and, and fitness and recovery and everything like that. But I think there's well, uh, probably psychological issues in that team that need to be addressed um, and I'm sure he'll get to that, but I don't think he's had the opportunity to do that yet. And I imagine Leeds, again, a team not, not overly emburdened with players at international duty, will probably have spent a lot of time working towards this match and will probably try and ca- capitalize on the way Spurs have been poor in recent times. And, like, really, they, they can't score any goals, and that's one of their problems, but they're also, you know, a bit shoddy in defense as well. And I think Leeds could possibly get at that if they just, you know, play that high press and make swears make mistakes really
0: yeah and quite quite interestingly like I, I don't know if these two managers have ever faced each other before I can't remember but I do remember back when Antonio Conte was at Chelsea um, you know I think it was the second season he was there quite early on in that season Chelsea at home played against Arsenal in just a random Sunday game and uh, Arsenal went man to man in that game which is well, you know we assume how Leeds will attack this game and you know, they did a really good job of shutting Chelsea down that day in a finish-nil all, um, you know, mm. which I think Leeds would take on Sunday. So maybe that will be a template for Bielsa to look at. And, and you know, I know maybe Spurs won't quite play the same way, you know, it was a 3-4-3 versus a 3-4-3 that day. It's not quite the same these days with, with uh, Conte, though we never know. Um, But, you know, maybe that can be a bit of a template, even though it was, what, three, four years ago now Um, for Bielsa.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly think you're right. I think he will do that. He he will try and get in their face. He will try to shut them down early on, in the pitch. And I don't know if if Spurs have the psychological metal to keep with that, uh, given how you know fragile they've been in recent months. I don't know if he's had enough time with these guys to to turn their frowns upside down, if you will. And uh, like a lot of these players, they'll, they'll probably be questioning: Am I going to be at this club in six months' time? Is this is is Conte my manager long term? You know. I, I honestly don't know. If you were doing an assessment of the Spurs side, I don't know what i pick half of them to be in a Conte team. Um, so the, there's probably a lot of uh, kind of soul-searching going on at the moment at Spurs, and uh, that can't spell well for for playing against a side like Bielsa's. Yeah, and finally, just a bit of Ole Watch, uh,
0: main night <laughs> against Watford. Um, <laughs> job for life, job for life. Eight-year contract. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, plenty of those jokes going around at the minute, but... Uh, Surely against Watford, we might see. You know, if Man United are going to find any bit of form under Ole right now, it's surely going to come in this one.
1: Well, you know, uh, big big Claudio does doesn't have a terrible record against Manchester United. Uh, he has beaten them in the past, so that's something you can point to. Um, like Watford played very well against Arsenal their last game out. You know, they the Ben Foster had a fantastic match. um and they, they played a very stifling game, physical and, and, and hard-hitting. And they were able to you know create breakaway chances for them. I don't think they're going to come on to Manchester United majorly, which has been a problem for Man United when teams haven't done that. So I think they will struggle, to be honest. Um, with Pogbao now, you don't have, really have any incision coming from midfield. As you said before, Bruno Fernandes is doing the run for Ronaldo rather than him being a creative force in the game. Um, so I'm I'm unsure of what Man United are going to do in this game. Bar played a, quite a defensive team with McTominay and Fred at the base of midfield, and you know trying to get Juan Basaka to send crosses into Ronaldo. I don't know what else he's going to do in this match.
0: Yeah, it'll be right before a pretty big Champions League game as well against Villarreal So um, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe a chance to
1: rest a few players as well. Potentially, oh, um, that's a very risky game. Like it if is. you want, if, um because they could like i could easily like this and probably cuz i've said it now or i'm about to say it it's not going to happen but i could easily see united losing both games this week and yeah. i don't even remember who they're playing next week but they could easily fall into that again <laughs> well cuz the way the game's come ticking yeah you see they're definitely going to lose against chelsea um so the, you know they could they could be 0 for 3 like and that's not, you know that could be them effectively out of the champions league and at this point you know it's very you know the season i the way the season has gone it's going to be as low points total i think i said that since the start i i I stand by it and uh, you know so there will be time for any team to catch up with the top four but at the same time you know you don't want to be this far behind and kind of especially with the matches united have played that to be that far behind uh, of rivals because they still have to play a lot of tough matches between now and even christmas
0: yeah and interestingly as well Ole gave the few players that weren't at international break the week off and he gave himself the week off as well even though a few players maybe thought that wasn't the best idea that they were going to do extra work to iron out the issues so you know it's going to be Interesting to see, um, you know, yeah, are they well rested, uh, or you know, maybe sometimes a
1: break is yeah. what's needed. Um, Solskjaer has done this before, and like he's come out the other end of it, and and oftentimes breaks have helped Manchester United. To, like the the biggest one, I think, is he was going to lose his job wasn't for COVID nineteen, like the break in that season. They were awful going into that break, and they came back and they were unbeatable. So <laughs> I don't know what happened in those magic few months where he couldn't talk to his players or train them or anything like that, but it seemed to do them the world of good um so maybe there is a bit of you know the less he speaks the better
0: yeah and i suppose we'll uh, be back next week to discuss all this and there's plenty to look forward to so until then thank you for being here andrew
1: and thank you for having me Dick.
0: and we'll be back again next week thank you for listening if you enjoyed this episode then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show spread the word of the total football takeover this show can also be found on podcast services including spotify by searching total football podcast you can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at kanban 27 C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at cheesyheartpun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.